Welcome to the 45th episode of Total Pop Mode, your weekly comedy gaming podcast. My name is Will, and I also go by Hoodafunk, and I'm joined here once again and always by my good friend, co-host, and fellow gaming enthusiast, James, aka Mr. Bames. What's going on, you sweaty and saucy Sasquatches? Taking a little delve into some cryptid animals there, James. This is uh, a new one for you. I think we've mostly stuck to, uh, you know, earthen confirmed species, but... uh, this is not a uh, paranormal podcast. This is a gaming podcast. Well, I won't lie to you, mate. That's that's good memory because I've forgotten most of them. So I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah, I think you've probably had a couple of duplicates in there somewhere over hey, the episodes. Maybe, maybe. Anyway, moving on. Coming up this episode, we've got our weekly regular games catch up, followed by the weekly news where we delve once again into the never-ending saga of the Actor Blizz acquisition. Oh boy. We'll also talk a little about a Metal Gear leak I'm particularly excited about, before getting into more news on Bethesda's Starfield. Once we're done with the news, we pick up another adventure in Completionist Corner. This time, we're playing Coffee Talk. But before all of that, let's jump on with the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthrough stream highlights as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pop Mode, or one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash hoodafunk. With the socials done, James, let's crack on with the catch-up. Okay, James, as is tradition, I'm going to hand this one over to you in the first place. What have you been up to this week in terms of gaming? I have only played one game this week outside of Completionist Corner, and that is I've just played more of Diablo 4. Predictably so. Just cracked on a bit with my main character. Pleased to say I did manage to complete the campaign. Oh, nice. Okay. Very, very okay. good. Have you hit level 50 yet, or are you pushed oh, yeah. past that by now? 57. Oh, nice. Okay, you're well yeah. on your way. Very good boss fights throughout. Really, really f***ing cool cutscene, like, sort of towards the end. Even though I know you haven't watched any of the cutscenes so far in your playthroughs, right? But... Oh, I, I have I have seen some of the earlier cutscenes. I implore you watch the final one. It's like it's probably a legitimate five minutes, quite long, but it's really really cool. So when you complete the game, I don't think it's too much of a secret that you then get given a special dungeon that basically unlocks World Tier Three for you. Oh, fine, okay, yeah. okay. So I finished the campaign, jumped into that dungeon, did that, got myself into World Tier Three, and that unlocks a whole host of new sort of end gamey type things. Do you actually get new enemies or uh, an upgraded tier of enemies, or is it uh, mostly just sort of damage based difficulty kind of stuff and enemy numbers? It's that, and you do get some new enemies. There's a lot more sort of unique mini boss spawns that you know. Have okay. To combine all of the powers that enemies can have together you know you've got the produce frozen orbs the teleport the lightning one you know all of those they can have mixtures of up to i think i've seen one with i think three is the most i've seen and you can also get a lot more um or you seem to get a lot more of like two or three mini bosses spawning at the same time couple that with the fact damage is up they cut through your armor a lot better their projectiles are more accurate so they track you a bit better if you're moving out the way which as a sorcerer on my main i'm doing quite a lot yeah Uh, yeah. it's, it's made it like a really nice challenge it's been good fun i've actually been playing shout outs to george i've been playing a little bit with george this week as well both in the end game so doing some of these um 
I don't know what you'd call it. I guess it's sort of a giant world event. It's called Helltide. There's loads of hell spawn. You go around killing it, collecting these embers or cinders, I think they're called. And they open special chests, which give you various pieces of legendary equipment. Guaranteed legendary equipment, is it? I think it's guaranteed. And certainly on the high level yeah. ones, because there's some that cost you 50, there's some cost 75, 125. And then there's a sort of hidden away, stashed away 175 one that, I mean, I think George and I opened two or three of them, I think two. And in both of them, I think I got five legendary items each. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. A couple of them sacred, which is the tier three top level. Oh, there's a a tier above legendary now, is there? There's sacred legendary or it's sacred items. So there's still common, rare, magic and legendary or whatever they're called. But then there's sacred items in world tier three. And then I think in world tier four, there's another one, but I forget what they're called. Oh, that's cool. So you're basically throughout all of those earning better loot and just continuing to work on it there's no just sort of minor increments at that point it's almost like you hit a whole nother tier of weapons each time you progress yeah and then it's all about just finding the best aspects to go with your build and leveling up perk points in the background and whatnot so yeah pretty cool um you said there was some harder enemies in some of the areas i assume you're finding that that's obviously dropping you much more loot on the ground as well in between dungeons or is that not the case i wouldn't say so no it's about the same frequency of loot drops there's a lot of loot in this game anyway i wouldn't say i was getting more of specifically in between dungeons typically have better drops rather than more drops and there are and by the sheer fact that there are a lot more enemies i guess technically you'll have a lot more items drop but it doesn't feel like i'm getting more rare stuff if you see what i mean fine I would say the only sort of minor complaint I have, and I think this is more a me thing rather than the game thing, is because the campaigns now over, I still have side quests that I can do and things like that, but the game for me just lacks a little bit of direction now. As a game, it is now officially in the grind phase. What do you do next? I might have to do multiple characters and stuff, which uh, they're going to make you do for Battle Pass anyway, so maybe that's the thing. Is that actually one of the requirements of the Battle Pass that you have to uh, use different characters? Is the Battle Pass out now? don't think so but they've confirmed that it's going to be seasonal characters but apparently that's been the case in all Diablos I mean there, yeah there certainly was in 3 absolutely that was a uh, a thing I do remember occasionally logging in and you'd happen to come in at a certain point halfway through a season but it's going to be one of those live service games where if you take your eye off it you are going to miss stuff now and uh, yeah I think that the frequency of that will probably increase in this one compared to 3 as well probably but to be fair I think uh, I saw a screenshot not from the final version obviously but of sort of the battle pass in development and it looks like all the rewards you get are purely aesthetic it's just cosmetic clothes and weapons and stuff so yeah don't even know if i can be bothered with that honestly i mean a lot of the enjoyment of these games for me is making the numbers go up although the cosmetics would be tempting i don't see this as a game that i would be threatening about how i look so much as more as making sure my stats are pumped yeah and to be honest i've made myself look how i want to look anyway because you can do that with the wardrobe feature. So yeah. I so I've looked yeah. pretty dope in my opinion for ages. I did, like unlocking new stuff isn't really going to affect me that much. But no, so that's been good fun, but that is all I've played this week. So how about you, man? Have you got up to anything this week? Well, I mean, I don't really have much of a long catch-up section because much like you, I've been putting most of my time into Diablo 4 as well. So for the most part this week, I've just been kind of carrying on and progressing my way through as the Barbarian. Uh, This time around, I have been watching a few more of the cutscenes as things start to progress a little bit more. And, you know, I haven't seen anything too mind-blowing yet, but I am enjoying getting a little bit more of an oversight of the story. It kind of tends to be whatever mood I'm in, whether I actually watch the these things or not sometimes i just want to get into a game and crash and just kill a bunch of demons which uh you know i'm quite happy to do rip and tear until it is done 
the storyline doesn't matter that heavily to me but other times when i'm a bit more relaxed i'm quite happy to sit back and watch a few cutscenes. Yeah, i do know what you mean but i do implore you at some point to check out the story because it's very good i'm sure i will after seeing enough of it now i, I think that i probably will go back and fill in a few blanks but other than progressing the Barbarians campaign forward, I don't have a great deal to talk about other than still having various connection issues. I had one the other day which resulted in me getting booed out of the session. It was one of those kind of Dark Soul moments where they're at 1 HP and you're just about to get the final hit on them and then all of a sudden everything just went and I it was so frustrating i couldn't believe it i'd used all my health potions which boss was it do you remember it was the it's the elderly lady that's playing some sort of instrument on the hillside oh the druid lady yeah that's right lightning bolts okay she's not too bad so at least it didn't kick no 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 it's not like a particularly difficult boss or anything like that and i've still yet to encounter any particularly difficult boss as the barbarian but annoying to have lost progress like that that was probably one of the more noticeable disconnects that i've had haven't had so many disconnects so much as just your occasional lag spikes and things still and i do hope that they kind of get on top of that at some point soon yeah no i agree with the um the lag i said last week that i thought 25 percent lag time was harsh i still think that's harsh but i certainly am a lot more open to that idea now it's more like 25 percent of your time that you're playing there's consistent scattered lag i think that's the thing it's not 25 percent full lag i can buy into it a lot more now i'll give you that but i've not had another disconnect that's good. So, yeah, so, that's so that's been cool. But, and, you know, and I have been playing for up to six hours at a time. So I'm quite happy with that. But yeah, I, I, the lag they need to get on top of. When George and I were playing the other day, it was so bad for both of us in a lot of points. He's a necromancer, right? If you get me doing a lot of area of effect stuff, him doing a lot of area of effect stuff, coupled with all the masses of enemies in the Helltide in World Tier 3, slowed everything right down with other players too. And, and it shouldn't do. Honestly, uh, I've, I've heard that actually this game can be surprisingly demanding on certain settings and i'm thinking about taking a look at some of mine to just really try and iron out whether there's any sort of performance issues i'm having over lag from what i can tell at the moment it definitely seems directly tied to walking in and out of towns and various event sessions where you're connecting online much more than it is when i'm just walking around a solo dungeon yeah i know the dungeons have been absolutely fine it is overworld and towns as you say for the most part Like I said, there's really not much to say there in terms of what I've been playing this week, so I think it's time that we moved on swiftly to the gaming news. Okay, so our first article of the day... Microsoft admits that Xbox has lost the console wars. The console wars, as it's been dubbed by gamers, has been ongoing for over two decades now, with the competition between Sony and Microsoft encompassing five generations of consoles, from the PlayStation 2 and OG Xbox, all the way up to the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. Opinions on the winner of each generation of console have always been divided, with fanboys on both sides screeching on Reddit and Twitter in belligerent and uncompromising rages soon after either of the opposing sides releases a new and exciting exclusive. It's game over, man! It's game over! This is, however, to my recollection, the first time either side has admitted defeat in such a way. Although there may well be a good reason for that, Microsoft is obviously issuing these statements as part of the ongoing legal battle for their acquisition of Activision Blizzard, claiming their third place in the market between Sony and Nintendo justifies the acquisition. What is your take on that, James? My initial take is, well, yeah, it's isn't it well documented that they uh, didn't sell as many units as the PlayStation did? I don't, I don't, that's not a shock. It sort of brings into question the, you know, allegations that Microsoft is trying to monopolise and corner 
of the market there, given that they are actually in third place. But I, you know, I can see exactly why they're making a point of it. It's the sort of thing that they wouldn't typically want to be sharing because it obviously doesn't look good for investors. So, I mean, Xbox's statement has gone on to say that they have lost the console wars and its rivals are positioned to continue to dominate. Xbox has consistently ranked third in consoles behind PlayStation and Nintendo. And Microsoft also said in the court filing, as per The Verge, In 2001, Microsoft entered the gaming industry with the launch of its first Xbox video game console, in competition with the established incumbents Sony and Nintendo. In that generation, Sony and Nintendo outsold Xbox by a significant margin. With every succeeding generation over the 20 years since, Sony, Nintendo and Xbox have remained the three major console producers and have been engaged in what the industry refers to as the console wars. According to Microsoft, Sony is the dominant player in this war and has taken the win with its PlayStation consoles throughout the five generations. Xbox, on the other hand, had only 16% of the overall console sales back in 2021, and Microsoft has been holding off of a release of these low figures, as they obviously don't look great, as we've mentioned before, for the company and investors, given their sustained efforts within the gaming market. Who knows, though, if this will actually help nudge the needle in their favour in terms of the opinion of the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission in North America. And funnily enough, I do think I saw a tweet from a journalist, I believe, called Florian Muller, who was stating that the FTC has precedent with another case back in the day of seeing new evidence such as this and changing their mind on it, in a nutshell. Okay, so the appeal's obviously been lodged, so it sounds like there may well be a good chance that they will uh, accept that and relook into things. With Xbox being so forthcoming about how badly they were doing, essentially, against the competition, at the same time, is it too little too late? It's an interesting one, this. I think that it has been pretty publicly established that Xbox has been the third place in terms of amount of sales for the console however i think the stark figure of 16 percent might be the sort of thing that would be enough to turn the ears of people in the room that might not have a particularly strong grasp over how video games work i think during the whole of this my main concern has been that a lot of the people on these commissions are sort of out of the loop in terms of modern video gaming that was definitely my impression anyway given some of their decisions so far. And I'm wondering if a figure like that would actually even change their mind. So I think that this is probably a good thing to come out. Okay, so moving on to our next news article of the day, Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 2's games have reportedly leaked. You heard me right, Volume 2. So Volume 1 is already something that I'm very excited about. We're finally going to see a release and have playable versions of Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, and 3, plus the older titles as well, Metal Gear 1, 2, Snake's Revenge, and some other bonus content as well. So already something really to be excited about. And if that wasn't enough, we're now getting leaks about Volume 2. A Twitter user called Nitroid, describing themselves as a Metal Gear historian, has discovered that the Metal Gear Solid website had added buttons to its franchise timeline for the games included in Volume 1, as well as some very suspicious placeholder buttons for Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots, Metal Gear Solid 5 The Phantom Pain, and Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker as well. So you reckon all of those are going to be remastered, do you? No, I don't think remastered, no. This is going to be very similar to Volume 1 in terms of the fact that this will just be a port that's now available on PC and PlayStation 5 and all the modern-day consoles. Also available for the Switch, which I thought was really cool, and honestly, I could kind of see myself picking up one version for the PC and one version for the Switch, because I am very familiar with those games, and I think that I could just enjoy playing that portably as well as I walk around. So out of that bunch, Phantom Pain, obviously, I've 
played that game fairly recently. I already have a copy on PC. It's very unlikely that there's going to be any improvements there. I think that is pretty much just going to be the Phantom Pain now somehow working on the Switch. Yeah, well, it worked on the Xbox 360 pretty well to be fair yeah uh, yeah it's, it's still impressive metal gear solid peace walker again that's just going to be a pc port so nothing to get too excited about there it's not a game that i consistently go back and play i've probably only completed it a couple of times but metal gear solid 4 guns of the patriots is something that i'm extremely excited to see because up until now the only console iteration has been available for that has been the playstation 3 in terms of the fact that the architecture was so closely linked that it was almost impossible to recreate it or remaster it on modern hardware because it was so purpose-built for the playstation 3 in a way so out of all of these titles really guns of the patriots is the only one that's got me truly excited I'll definitely be picking up Volume 1, and I may well just wait for Volume 2 to come down a little bit in price. Probably unlikely to pick that one up immediately on release, but I can't pass up the opportunity to play Metal Gear Solid 3 on the PC. I need to get that as soon as it's out. Extremely, extremely hyped for that. Okay, man, so let's move on to our third and final article of the day. Todd Howard has reconfirmed statements made on Reddit two years ago that Bethesda's commitment to making Starfield's Galaxy a big blank canvas for modders to paint their dreams on and hinted that the studio will be heavily involved itself in the modding process. Which I'm sure the modders are super happy about. (laughs) Yeah, there's going to absolutely be a mod store, isn't there? We're just waiting for monetization. Just how long before Starfield gets a fishing mod that you have to pay a fiver to use? (laughs) Speaking with the Kind of Funny X cast, Todd Howard was asked how excited he was about Starfield's scope for modding. Unsurprisingly, given that Bethesda's games have been pretty synonymous with modding for decades at this point, his answer was pretty effusive. I think Starfield is going to be a kind of modder's paradise, said Howard. It's part of our DNA here. We've been doing it for over 20 years, which was actually almost word for word, to be fair, the statement that he issued on Reddit as part of the Q&A as well. Probably just reading off his transcript. He's got a script, doesn't he? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And he'll stick to it. I'm sure he believes it. It's definitely reassuring to hear that they actually are building this game with mod support. It does seem like uh, most of their previous universe titles have been pretty good in terms of mod support. This was a game that I honestly wouldn't have questioned it too much if there wasn't a whole bunch of mod support, given that in some ways it feels like this is a small miracle that it's actually holding itself together by the bolts and actually running on consoles. Yeah, but do they say that the mods are going to be on consoles too? I would imagine it'd probably be a very similar affair to the current iterations of Skyrim where they have like an approved mod list on the mod store. But yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to do anything too wacky that some of the more niche mods that's available for PC... Yeah. And they're probably off the cards. I think it's a cool a cool sort of token nod to the modding community and it's a nice thing for the consoles to have that option if it's there. It'll be interesting to see how it affects the PC mods themselves because you know people are just going to go wild as they always do. It'll be interesting to see how many of them get through onto the console. No Thomas the Tank Engine spaceships. <laughs> oh, you never know, Microsoft money. Yeah. Specifically for Thomas the Tank Engine just to make that sh- cannon. Todd also is actually really emphasising Bethesda's involvement this time in the mod support, claiming that it's really important for them not to just enable modding, but also to participate actively. Bethesda wants to make it easy for modders to make this where they can make it not just a hobby, but a career as well. So they want to poach more people. Absolutely, yeah, this is it. This is like uh, their free recruitment technique now. They're going to just poach the most talented modders and uh, creative minds and stick them on the team for Elder Scrolls 7, baby! Okay, man, so that's us wrapped up for the news this episode. Let's move it on to Completionist Corner. Here we go for the Completionist's Corner. Corner. 
This week, James and I played a game that was completely new to me. However, James has actually played this one before, and we even talked about it on a really early episode of the podcast. It might have even been episode one, James. It was episode one. I'm, of course, talking about Coffee Talk, the barista simulator slash graphic novel where you play as the owner of a coffee shop called, you guessed it, Coffee Talk. The game was developed by Indonesian indie studio Togi Productions and was released in January 2020 for PC and consoles. The main creator of the game, Mohamed Fami, was inspired by a Japanese TV show called Midnight Diner, which revolves around a chef whose restaurant only opens after midnight. The game takes place in autumn in a modern, alternative, rainy Seattle, Washington in the year 2020, where elves, orcs, mermaids, catgirls and many other fantasy races live together with humans. As we mentioned before, the player controls the owner of Coffee Talk, where our goal is to serve coffee to our diverse range of customers. This world seems very familiar at first, despite various fantasy races wandering around outside our shop. You know, people have jobs, cars, have parties, festivals, however, each day begins with a screen where we see the newspaper headlines which often show a darker side to the world often with issues and conflicts that we wouldn't face in a regular world such as a zombie virus outbreak or public shortages of an anti-fury medication used to suppress werewolves when they become frenzied the plot of the game takes place over the course of two weeks where each day our customers visit the coffee shop and order coffee the gameplay consists mostly of reading and following the dialogue of each of the characters. Occasionally, you'll be receiving hints as to what their preferences might be, or important things to remember such as dietary restrictions. As you click through the dialogue, occasionally customers will enter and order coffee, at which point you enter the brewing screen. At this stage, you can pick up to three ingredients, a base, primary, and secondary ingredient. These ingredients include, of course, coffee, milk, green tea, black tea, ginger, cinnamon, honey, and quite a few more. Yeah, some pretty disgusting ones too, in my opinion. Shout outs to the coffee you could put a f***ing egg in. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> odd choice there. Yeah, definitely a new one on me. Indonesian delicacy, I believe. Okay. A lot of the recipes in this game are real. Yeah, absolutely, and they kind of represent a lot of different tea consumption throughout the rest of the world. Once you've selected the ingredients in a specific order, you can press the brew button to begin brewing, or select reset if you've made a mistake. At this point, a nice panelled animation takes over, showing the making of the espresso, cutting ingredients, pouring milk, honey, etc. Company with some very nice sound effects too. At this point, the game allows you a moment to look over your creation, which you can either serve or throw in the bin if you're not happy with it. Certain drinks also allow you to create latte foma by pouring milk and etching out designs, or in my case, just drawing blobs because I didn't get how it worked. Yeah, it's a particularly difficult thing to do. You have to rotate the cup a lot more than I initially figured. You need to kind of make a shape with the milk pouring and then immediately rotate to something else to get yeah. anything really meaningful to happen. I never got anything meaningful to happen at all. <laughs> like, I couldn't even do a smiley face just for like two drips and a line. I couldn't even do that well. Yeah, the way that the milk pouring thing is definitely, at first glance, it makes you think that you might just be doing something a little bit like MS Paint, but yeah. it couldn't be further from it, honestly. I've never actually spoken to a barista about it, but I imagine that is how you do it. Yeah, you definitely see them twisting the cup as they go sort of thing, so I imagine there must be some semblance of realism there. It is a barista simulator after all. There are also lots of special drinks in the game that you can make using the right ingredients in the right order, and certain customers will only give you the name of the drink, meaning that you've got to use your smarts and sometimes a little bit of luck to make the right combination. 
The game only allows you to throw away a maximum of five hot drinks per day, so there's actually a limit to how many times you can retry making the right combination for customers. But what is nice about this game is that when you do get a drink right, or even if you get it wrong, it will go in your recipe book permanently, and you can always reference back your recipe book if you forget how to make a drink. Very handy when there's one particular character who has a repeat order that you kind of need to know yeah exactly that yeah as we kind of mentioned earlier the game does give you regular hints along the way of certain things that will just pique your attention enough to make you think hey i should probably remember that for later but who are some of these quirky characters that we keep on referencing well let's get into some of the people that we'll be meeting serving and genuinely nosing about their lives throughout this game so i think first and foremost probably very appropriate to sort of open with arguably the main character outside of yourself yes absolutely i would say so yeah she's your most recurring most loyal customer that never f***ing pays for anything it's the lovely freya green hair wannabe author writing a big old story that she's given herself a hard deadline for like she's got herself in a situation and so she spends all her nights at the coffee house looking for inspiration yeah that's exactly right she's technically moonlighting from her current job at the evening whispers the newspaper in the game and using that office time to write her novel on the side at least at the start of the game it's not going well so next up on the roster we also have georgie the police officer we do lactose intolerant brand Yes, exactly. That's an important thing to remember with Georgie. And another thing that the game sort of subtly hints at, but then make sure to not remind you at any point for the rest of the game, unless, of course, you check his social media profile, because you do have a mobile phone in the game that will allow you to uh, browse up on certain things. And as you get to know people more, their details become more available to you. Sounds a lot worse than it is, in my opinion. I found it really non-invasive, and on my first playthrough, I didn't use it once, actually. Oh, I I did just to look at stuff, but you don't need to use it at all it's just a nice thing i did much the same i did browse their profiles whenever i unlocked them but i didn't actually use them to make anything next up we have rachel and nekomimi which is uh, aka cat people they are human shapeshifters that can turn into cats and uh, she is a former member of a girl band who is now attempting a solo career some dodgy business goes on with this her story intertwines very heavily with the next character on the list that's right, so Hendry is Rachel's overprotective father, also a Nekomimi, and a former legend of the music industry, so very much a part of the world, or at least uh, an ex-part of the world, that his daughter is now trying to engage with. Yeah, he was a music producer back in the day, and given that a lot of her problems stem from her new producer, she thinks he's being overbearing, is that really the case? The next couple of people that come into it, and this is a couple of people in this instance, is Story of Star-Crossed Lovers. Think Romeo and Juliet, but in fantasy. We have Lua and Baileys, a succubus and an elf who are in love. The succubi parents, they ain't happy with it. Neither are the elf parents. Yeah, I mean, the elf parents are actually more of the issue. Oh, it's both, man. It's both, but they call out the elf parents a lot more for their sort of hoity-toity ways and about the elf sullying himself. And losing his immortality. Next, we also have Gala and Hyde, who are a werewolf ex-bodyguard turned hospital administrator and a vampire skincare model. The reason for being a skincare model, obviously, the vampires do not age and it's a whole scam. And claiming that the pale, absolutely perfect skin of the vampires is actually as a result of using various lotions and potions. But then the final character that we meet along our way is a character who doesn't actually have a name initially. I believe we give him the name Neil, or he gives himself the name Neil as a result of meeting other people, because he's a very odd chap, this guy. He's an alien who is attempting to learn more about the human race, our ways, with the ultimate goal of uh, impregnating someone. And uh, he sort of 
comes in randomly, asks us some fairly inappropriate questions along the way, is very socially awkward. So naturally, we give him a job to give him a bit of the sort of customer facing uh, experience. And uh, he's quite fun. Drinks through his finger. That's after he's had a bit of an arc at that point. I think that the uh, I think his main arc there is that for the most part, he just wants to sleep with another person. But then at that point, he decides that in order to do that, he's going to need to learn a lot more about us. So he decides that the best way to do that is to interact with people as a coffee shop employee. He's seen how we work throughout the game why would he not want to give it a go as james mentioned there he also happens to drink through his finger so whenever you serve him a nice beverage he dips his index finger inside the cup and uh, starts swigging away there so Neil resembles an astronaut with a kind of starry look through his helmet. You can tell that there's something going on inside the helmet and it looks like what I can only describe as some sort of astral cloud inhabiting the spacesuit. I got a galaxy. It looked like a mini galaxy to me. Pretty much, yeah. Like, a, yeah, yeah, some sort of nebula or something floating around in there. It was a cool look and uh, interesting because he's the only character in the game that doesn't actually have a face. So unlike a lot of the characters in the game, it's slightly harder to read him. So unlike Undertale, which we did last time, this game doesn't have a vast amount of branching options and different endings. It's much simpler to get to the various outcomes possible in the game, and all of these are achieved by serving the right cups of coffee or tea to people, or hot chocolate in some instances. Hot drinks. Relationships formed and events taking place over the course of the 14 days and into the future will be affected by the quality of drinks you serve as a barista. Not to mention the quality of your chat. That's exactly right. A lot of the time, the quality of the chat is directly resulting from the quality of the coffee that you've just served though it definitely seems like you get more and more of the conversation as time passes serving people the right drinks so i've actually streamed this game on twitch uh so it will be available on youtube later on as well the uh, complete playthrough of my first time through this game as viewers will see there i did actually up a few times and occasionally got the wrong drink there was one time where someone turned around to me and said that is not even remotely what i asked for (laughs) so i guess i was just kind of daydreaming a little bit at that point with that drink but other than that i think i only messed up just a very few times and for the most part they all as james implied there the outcomes of the storyline is very much based around how well you serve coffee and pretty much all but one of my characters actually found success throughout the game so i don't think i did too bad thankfully it's not bad not bad effort i'd love to see the bad ending everything goes wrong (laughs) yeah honestly it's it's not too depressing so i suppose we should probably get into the storylines then we can talk a little bit about the various ways that things can end up for our characters yes let's so seeing as we started to mention freya at the beginning of our list of characters we might as well talk about her story a bit more so as james mentioned before she's an aspiring author slash current newspaper writer for the evening whispers and as her story progresses she's kind of getting progressively more and more stressed out over whether she's actually going to be capable of writing this novel that she's promised within the course of two weeks just so happens to be the exact length of time that the game is also spanning and the sort of crux of freya's story really hinges on one major decision ultimately as we've sort of said before she's always the first customer in every night she's always there always ordering drinks and never f***ing paying for them because we're nice to her so we see this situation develop we see the stress she puts herself under and as i sort of mentioned earlier she comes in at one point looking absolutely like bags under her eyes she's just in a complete state and she's trying to do like all-nighters the whole time and you have the choice of you can either get her a coffee 
like a triple espresso, I think it is, or a double espresso, something mad. Well, that's her main order. Is it's yeah, yeah, that's what she's demanding is a triple yeah. espresso. Or you can trick her out and give her a drink to calm her down and make her have a nice little snooze. Yeah, I think it's called like a Midsummer's Dream or something like that. You can make her to really knock her out and get the good ending for her. Based on that, I was going to ask you what you did, but I'm guessing that you allowed her to sleep. No, I didn't because I didn't know how to make the Midsummer's Dream. That was actually the crucial character that got the bad ending oh, <laughs> in right. my game. Was actually. Uh, Freya. Yeah, I gave her the triple espresso. I really did hesitate over it, but I was like, I don't want to give her something and then she ends up like sleeping 24 hours and losing important time. So I gave her the espresso and hoped for the best. I was a little worried that she was about to have a heart attack instead. The game was suddenly going to plunge into a dark game where I killed my best and most (laughs) loyal customer. Undertale has really stuck with me after uh, after that playthrough. I'm very, very cautious of my actions now in games. Well, the irony being that that's exactly what she needed. She needed to just sleep for about 18 hours. And uh, yeah, if you give her the Midsummer Dream, she goes to sleep in the booth, sleeps for hours. It was roofies! And then uh, you get her good ending because she's focused and she actually is able to write her masterpiece. I assume I've never actually failed a questline in this game, so I don't know any of the negative outcomes. Yeah, so Freya's positive outcome there, obviously being that she manages to write a good book that gets picked up and happens to sell a bunch of copies. The negative outcome being that she manages to get approved, however she's got something like two months to come up with better ideas because they're not quite happy with it before release, and then when she does ultimately release the book it comes out to less than positive reviews and at that point she just sort of goes back to her day job and dreams of still being an author a lot of the bad endings in this game aren't necessarily awful endings they're more just kind of like things stay the same and depressing yeah just crushing of dreams they're not that bad they're just crushing people's dreams so we'll talk about the next three characters pretty much all together because they're all very closely related I'm talking about Georgie, the human police officer, Rachel, the Nekamimi cat girl, and Henry, Rachel's overprotective catman father. Yeah, overprotective's a little harsh as it turns out. That's initially how it seems. I think the situation's bad, but he still is overprotective, I think is the kind of the main thing. is He's overprotective in terms of he actually punches a guy because he hears some guys talking about his daughter. I think that could be classed as overprotective in terms of assaulting someone over them just speaking privately. Yeah, dude, about how they're going to, like, destroy her fucking... Butthole. Yeah, like, it's, it's, I don't know, if I was a dad, I think that's fair enough. You hear some people, like, talking about how they're going to plough your daughter. I think that's fair. It's not like they're intentionally discussing that in front of him. I don't think that they were saying that to his face in, as a means to insult him, sort of thing. No, but still. I mean, yeah, it's not a good thing, but, I mean, in reality, which this game does seem to kind of base itself in, you can't just punch someone because they say something you don't like. I don't know. Or turn into a cat and attack them. I don't know, you see that shit all the time. Yes, on Jeremy Kyle, you see that shit all the time no just in the world dude yeah i know but it never goes well for those people they always end up in jail that's not true but we'll get into that so you're sticking with the fact that (laughs) it's okay to you're not being overprotected by beating up a stranger because you overheard them talking about your daughter i don't think that's overprotective i think that's protective (laughs) what are you protecting your daughter from if they're talking about her just discreetly like that they're just talking about how they want to go downtown on her i think it's literally like what could be described as even though it's not as like locker room conversation so i don't really feel like it's a reason to assault someone particularly although it definitely is an absolute dick move to be talking about someone like that 
So the main sort of issue at hand here is that uh, Rachel appears in our coffee shop one day, seemingly distressed because she's had an argument with her father over the fact that she accuses him of being overprotective and controlling and won't let her sort of live her own life as an 18-year-old. She feels entitled to make her own decisions. Throughout the course of the game, you encounter various scenarios which suggest the the world that Rachel is getting involved in, she may well be getting in and over her head, hanging around with increasingly dodgy characters, and actually the threat of her new manager being another industry hardcore head who is uh, clearly involved in some shady business, a lot of drug taking, partying, and things that a father should genuinely be concerned about for his daughter. Quite right too. So I suppose the the kind of large crux of this game is ensuring that they all get the right drinks because it essentially <laughs> turns out that <laughs> sorry that that's just such a funny sentence. Like, it's, so I guess the, the truth, crux of it? fixing their lives is we just need to give them the right drinks. She just needs a lot of a lot of chocolate, and her dad needs a lot of milk when he yeah. gets beaten up after assaulting two of the producers' henchmen. Now and yeah, as, as we all said, it comes down to she's always looking for a pick me up because she feels her father's getting involved and eventually because she realizes her father was right and he's always coming in being like i don't get young people like i wish i was closer with my daughter we used to be so tight how do you do fellow kids and i think he's the one that asks for the specific indonesian tea with the egg in it if i certainly made it for him <laughs> yeah but fair enough i, I can't remember because <laughs> he wants something milky and i feel like milk's like one of the main ingredients of that one if memory serves and so we mentioned briefly earlier, Georgie, the human police officer, is sort of acting as a bit of a mediator between both Rachel and Hendry. He offers to drop Rachel home initially at the beginning of the game so that she gets home safely. And then later on, he also speaks to Hendry, reminiscing and talking about his own family as well, providing different perspectives to both of them in terms of the fact that it's actually quite regular to argue with your family members. This shouldn't be a thing that sort of decides the rest of their relationship, one argument. But actually, it's a really well-told story, in my opinion. Yes, I I think all of the stories are really well told in this game obviously it being uh, a game where you predominantly spend most of your time reading the text it is really nice actually that it was oh, almost exclusively reading text yeah. yeah well it depends how much time you spend pouring that latte foam art you know <laughs> oh, this playthrough not much i won't lie right. my previous two like ages much longer than i'm prepared to admit although i never got the achievement for doing it for an hour so whoopsie wasn't that long. right right but the writing is actually really strong in this game i think all of the stories feel very developed and one thing that i felt by the the end of playing this game is that actually i knew all of the characters very well i felt like all of them were very familiar they all had their own unique personality it's a game where the way that the characters speak all feels very unique and individual to all of them and the game definitely gives you that feeling of being part of something in terms of a group of people much in a similar way that red dead redemption 2 did with your camp members there as well by the time that you finish that game you feel like you know a lot of these individual people very well yeah i can, I can agree with that all condensed into a lovely sort of two hour experience I think it probably took me about three and a bit hours to play it through on my first time and then the second playthrough was maybe like 45 minutes I think it turns out that the new producer that is sort of managing Rachel's solo career who Rachel this whole time has been saying knows what he's doing has my best interests at heart it turns out that he's a proper wrong in this guy basically everything that Rachel's father was sort of saying would happen ended up happening and uh, he does get his comeuppance. He gets arrested. And I can't speak to the bad ending of this one, which I'm really interested to hear about. But the good ending is that Rachel's solo career takes off and her dad sort of comes out of retirement to be her manager. That's and right. It's a really nice sort of story. An industry legend returns. 
there really isn't much of a difference between these negative endings. So the negative ending is essentially her career continues. Her father doesn't come back into the game and she just gets a new manager. That's pretty much it. Oh, that's boring. Yeah, there's uh, what you'll notice is a lot of these slides is they often start off the way that the game is presented, the way that the endings are presented is that you'll see sort of what look like Polaroid photos of a certain scene. And then depending on the ending that you've got, the photo will fade into the same but altered photo. And in this one, either her dad appears in the foreground of the photo staring at her in the audio booth or just a kind of random weird looking guy. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, yeah, there isn't really much of a, uh, yeah, much of a huge difference there. So next up, we have the couple of the story, the star-crossed lovers, Lua and Bailey's, our alcoholic friends. So they're not actually alcoholics, I should say. It's just uh, named after drinks there. But uh, Succubus and an elf. Lua, the succubus, she just has like a office job, sort of fairly high up, management style type thing. Busy quite a lot of the time. And Bailey's the, the elf, her beau, her fiancé. I don't know how to... I, I think the term drift is a bit harsh, but he's kind of like a... He's a freelancer, yeah. I think is the uh, the professional yeah. term. Yeah, he's a freelancer. Yeah. <laughs> a drift. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's just very chilled out guy, um, just goes from job to job. And is a lot more laid back about the sort of sheer mountain of problems they have as a couple than Lure is. As we alluded to earlier, neither of their parents are particularly happy with the fact that they're together and looking to get married, particularly the Elven family, who are threatening to take away his inheritance, his immortality. And this story starts off very Romeo and Juliet, they're making the best of it. But then it gets to a point where they're sort of arguing about it so much that actually Lua starts to have second thoughts. I think mostly around the fact that if their relationship were to progress and then one day, if Bailey's were to suddenly regret being with her, that he would then blame her for losing his immortality. Yeah, and therefore she wants to end it so that they can save both of them that heartache in the future, potentially. That's right. And of course, through the power of making them bang in drinks. And with a little bit of help from some of the other characters that we'll get onto shortly. Yeah. A little bit of tough love from them characters, let's yeah, a little bit, a little bit of a push. Certainly, in the good ending, they end up sticking with it. They get married. You know, it takes a bit of time, but they're making the best of it. The bad ending being that, of course, the couple separates. Bailey's leaves town with no thought of ever coming back, and Lua stays behind, occasionally popping into the coffee shop to get a drink, but for the most part, just indulging in the swipe right culture. So uh, that is the kind of the the main gist of the storyline there. Will they or won't they, depending on the amount of coffee that you serve them and just how good that sweet, sweet coffee is. So the next couple of characters that we'll cover is Gala and Hyde. Gala being a werewolf ex-bodyguard and, as I mentioned earlier, turned hospital administrator, and Hyde being a vampire model selling skincare products who actually employed Gala as a bodyguard in the early days of their friendship. Quite the odd couple. So Hyde the vampire is actually absent for a lot of the storyline after imparting some slightly harsh words and tough love with Lua, giving her some relationship advice. Hyde actually goes away on holiday holiday and is absent for pretty much the rest of the next two weeks up until the very end. Yeah. Left behind is Gala, his ex-bodyguard, now hospital administrator. And during the course of this game, you're kind of made aware of an ever-present looming crisis whereby werewolves in the world require a specific vaccine that suppresses them during their frenzied fury stage. The problem with this vaccine, however, it's discovered that it's actually dangerous to werewolves and a lot of the werewolves in society suddenly begin rallying against the hospital where Gala is located. During all of the ruckus and during this riot, Gala 
protects the hospital, saves a lot of people, also during this time becomes frenzied himself. And that is the point where your main decision and saving function for Gala comes in, where he bursts into your coffee shop whilst you're speaking to Freya, the aspiring author, and sits down, roaring at you, I guess gesturing as if he wants something to drink (laughs) is the best I can describe it. But for the most part, he's just kind of stomps in and sits down. And it's worth adding a little bit of context to that. Throughout our meetings with him, he has said that there is a drink that he reckons that we can make that will calm him down. And you can actually sort of, I think you get two or three goes at making a drink for him to try and sort of subside the effects of his frenzying or his urges. That's right. And I believe it is ends up being milk, ginger and something else. I think it's a tea. It's tea, milk and ginger yeah. in that order specifically. Yeah. And you make a drink called the Galahad, which if you've managed to do it prior to that, it's great he kind of confirms so that is the drink and you just need to remember it however up until that point i still hadn't managed to get it so i managed to get it luckily at the last attempt yeah. as we talked about earlier you've got to put the ingredients in the right order thankfully i managed to get it in the amount of guesses i was allowed and was able to well his fury and that's uh yeah as will says there i've remembered it from the first time i played it and the second time i played it so i was like yeah cool i remember it's these three ingredients i'll get it in two goes it's fine very good and uh, you give him his drink and he, he doesn't actually like de-transform there and then he just like storms off basically but he comes back in the next day and it's all like happy days yes he's very thankful he yet again saves freya from buying another coffee and actually offers to pay for her drink I'm very pleased that the coffee shop survived that night. I can only assume that if you didn't do that, that he would damage something. And I don't know. I don't know whether he would just drink it and then walk out or whether he would drink it and then trash the place if it was the wrong drink. So next up, we have Neil, who we've covered in great detail earlier on when we were sort of introducing the characters. But just for a reminder, he was a big old spacesuit wearing guy coming in looking to learn more about the human race to eventually impregnate someone. As we mentioned, we have conversations with him. We make him some drinks. He drinks through his finger. And the first time he comes in nothing really comes of it it's just sort of quite a weird encounter and actually after that we get an interesting visit from what looks to be sort of a federal agent and he looks kind of like an fbi agent but it's not fbi in this game it's f-i-r-e he just comes in and says have you seen anyone weird interestingly our character is quite tense around this guy he is yeah that's unusual for our character to seem unsettled however thankfully we side with neil there and uh pretty unhelpful to our fire agent we even sort of make him say you sure that an alien would be walking around in an astronaut suit doesn't that seem pretty obvious and something that an alien wouldn't do proper double bluffer that's great yeah it seems to work though it does seem to work and the last two characters who we actually forgot to mention earlier is aqua and myrtle who are two female characters aqua being a sort of mermaid slash sea person having a very specific squelchy sounding entrance and exit into the cafe And alongside her is Myrtle, who is a orc lady, who I believe is actually a game designer working on what sounds very much like this universe's version of Call of Duty. Yes. They don't start off together. Initially, we just have Myrtle in our shop, I believe. And then Aqua comes yes. in. Yes, very unassuming, yeah. not particularly sociable. No, just like, yeah, give me my drink and sort of let me be. I'm just reading. Considering the rest of the characters in the game, you could almost describe her as unfriendly, yeah. given that everyone else seems to be so open to having a conversation and 
and spilling their guts within five minutes of meeting anyone else. Yeah, she does have a bit of a gruff exterior. And Aqua is actually very nervous and of a shy disposition. She feels like she's constantly putting her foot in it and embarrassing herself. And Aqua actually works as a game designer herself, working on much smaller indie titles. Obviously, you know, completely different to the the large-scale titles that Myrtle is working on. Yes, and as we'll sort of intimated there, she just has very low self-esteem, low confidence. Just needs a bit of a boost. And throughout the course of the game, that is what Myrtle eventually ends up giving her. Certainly in the good ending, they become incredibly close. It's never really said that they they become a couple, but I get the feeling that they became like a couple. And uh, they end up like designing a game together in the good ending, I believe. It's a great success, and Myrtle just brings Aqua out of her shell. A very, very positive bringing each other up together. And this is another kind of bit where we're playing Cupid here as well through our sense of fantastic coffee crafting. I'm very curious to hear what the bad ending is for this. Like, presumably they just don't become as close and don't get together and the game's a flop. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, so Myrtle remains working on her Call of Duty ripoff and Aqua continues working on indie games. However, without the kind of reinforcement of Myrtle and support, she isn't actually ever able to break through and make something popular. Damn. Again, there's not a great deal of peril in this game. It's more about the act of improving people's lives as opposed to saving them from any sort of true danger. Yeah. So at the end of the two weeks, we have a sort of a recap two weeks later of all of the goings on in the event. And just as it appears as if the events of the game are finally over in terms of our character arcs, in walks someone we haven't seen before. The mysterious white-haired man dressed as a doctor greets us. He does seem familiar, and he reveals himself as actually Neil the alien. No longer in an astronaut spacesuit, though, he's now appearing as a doctor complete with a stethoscope. Yes, proper human, this guy. Although he is covered in a few plasters, it looks like he's been through the wars a little bit. He says he's learned a lot about people on Earth since we first met, and claims to have had quite a lot of success in terms of mating with people on Earth. I became a total slag. As we talk, Neil suddenly tells us that we can drop our act around him, and confusingly, our player indulges him, confirming that Neil finally noticed something. Our character also tells Neil that there are some timelines where we had forgotten to pretend that we didn't know certain things. So this is all getting very confusing, and what the hell could that mean? This is where the game takes an absolute left turn, so strap yourselves in, folks. Your character in this game actually finally gets outed as a time traveller, travelling through various existences in order to get things right and make people happy in his own words. Yeah. You're actually the product of a member of Neil's alien race impregnating a member of the human race and creating these sort of superheroes amongst the Earth. Although I'm not really sure what your superpower would be other than making fantastic cups of coffee. Yeah, banging drinks. That's the superpower. But what you'll actually notice during this conversation is that your character, after telling Neil that he's made a few mistakes along the way, forgetting to pretend not to know things, he actually lists maybe four or five different specific dates in the calendar. Now, on going back through the game, you can actually go to these specific dates via either playing the game again or going to the level select screen and just going straight to the dates, completing a lot more of the coffee challenges and making sure that everyone gets their special versions of their drinks. You'll actually get a lot more perspective into the storyline, along with Neil's explanation upon giving him the good drink that his ultimate goal is to create superheroes amongst the earthlings by sleeping with them. Yeah, if you give him the right drink, which I believe is called the Milky Way or something like that, something similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. He like almost gets drunk and just becomes like a truth spiller. Oh yeah, man, just this is what my plan is. This is what I want to do. I probably shouldn't have said all that. Shouldn't have said that. But the interesting thing about this sort of multiverse time traveler feature is, is that if you do play the game again as a second playthrough, 
you will literally like give away spoilers to the customers in parts of your conversation and they call you out like what what are you on about we haven't done any of that there's maybe three or four points in the game where freya calls you out for knowing someone's name before they've introduced themselves yeah. or something similar yeah and it gets more funky like the more playthroughs you do nice touch and at this point freya's story even changes as well and instead of writing her novel about the coffee shop, which wasn't so successful in my first attempt at this game, she's now changed her mind to write a story about a time traveller, surprisingly. Yeah, still drawing inspiration from the real world. And on your second time through the game, you actually speak with Neil once again and tell him that this time she actually managed to realise this is one of those parts of the multiverse where Freya finally does realise that you are in fact a time traveller and then goes on to write a very successful book. Yeah, and keeps your secret. Loyal customers. You also get some very mild hints that something is slightly mysterious about our player character earlier on in the game someone does sort of question how given the fact that you don't have all that many customers just how you manage to stay afloat at which point freya kind of interjects and says oh don't worry about them you know they've just got plenty of money we're super rich and just before she says that you actually tell the person who was asking that it's just your little secret yeah so once again it kind of implies there that what is this secret that this coffee shop owner is hiding well who would have guessed you were a time traveler all along I think at that point you're pretty much done with the game other than getting a few more achievements in the endless mode. Yeah, so true. yeah, I'm not sure whether there is too much more left to the storyline of the Have game. Have you tried to do that endless mode? No, I haven't. Yeah, no, no, no. It gets hard. I think the first achievement is for doing 25 in a row. I got to 21 and I was trying. I'll probably go back and give that a go a bit later. Sounds interesting. Yeah. With that, Final thoughts on the game, man. What did you think about the whole thing? I know that it's uh, you know it's a very short experience and there isn't too much to talk about in terms of mechanics necessarily, but favourite characters? In terms of favourite character, I really didn't have a favourite character in the end. I ended up, I guess, liking all of the characters equally. I think that some of them I started off disliking, perhaps kind of judging a book by its cover. The game has a sort of pixelated art style inspired by anime-style drawings and some of the characters, like the, uh, the elf character Baileys, looks very snooty at first and he can be a bit standoffish perhaps or maybe just a little bit aloof which kind of instantly uh, made me dislike him perhaps <laughs> but I think as the game progressed I started to just enjoy all of the characters I honestly couldn't pick and say that I had a favourite other than Freya which is probably what the game wants you to pick given she is your most loyal customer despite the fact that she is rarely a customer and more of a freeloader yeah no yeah I agree Freya is probably my favourite character but shout outs to the um, Hendry and Rachel storyline I thought that was a really really well told story the most well told yeah, as we said yeah. they're all great but that one was particularly excellent I thought yeah that was a storyline that I enjoyed as well I thought that the, the sort of interjections from Georgie and the sort of talk about family values and stuff like that it all got quite introspective there and that brings me nicely on to I guess my comments about the writing in the game itself which I thought it was genuinely an absolute pleasure to read through uh, I really enjoyed the art style I really enjoyed the way that the game was set as the perspective of you sat behind the bar staring at the chairs and various characters coming in and out you've also got the window in the background and you can see pedestrians walking past silhouettes yeah. of cars and things going in the street and the music to go along with it which was kind of very sort of like slow jazz lounge music with a bit of an electronic feel occasionally and then uh, you know occasional bits of louder music when it was necessary like the werewolf encounter that you have and the overall mood of that game the sum of its parts was something that i'll really remember for quite some time I couldn't really agree too much more with that, man. I, I think the whole relaxing style of the game is really, really, really beautiful. And honestly, piggybacking on what you've just said there, I think this game is a lot more emotional than it has any right to be and hits you in the feels a lot more than it has any right to. 
Yes, it gets you very invested quite quickly. And you know, as we sort of said, you can put two playthroughs of this game in three hours. Like you really don't have to spend much time in this game at all. But you almost want to when you're playing with it. The relaxing atmosphere, often it's raining and you get the feeling that you're just like in a nice warm room just chatting to mates. So shout outs to the team. And I I don't know about you, but I will certainly at some point when I've cleared my list a bit be picking up Coffee Talk 2. And I guess I just wanted to close off this piece uh, by giving a shout out to Mohamed Fahmi, uh, who actually was the main creative mind behind Coffee Talk and sadly died in March 2022. I think that this is a really nice legacy to leave behind and I hope that lots of people to come keep on picking up and playing this game. Okay man, so that brings us to the end of Completionist Corner and the end of the episode. Just before we go, it's time to lay out the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content for our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pop Mode, or one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPF. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. With all that said, guys, I would just like to drop a quick reminder to give us five stars on iTunes, drop us a like on our YouTube videos. We're really trying to grow the podcast, and it is the best thing you can do to support us. Comment on the videos. Have I given an opinion that you particularly agree with? Has James dropped an absolute clanger that you can't wait to rinse him on? Probably. Probably. There's only one way to find out. With all that said, once again, thanks very much to everyone, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everyone. Until next time.